Tonight, before I actually begin my message here, most of it is from the Gospel of John. Uh, almost all of it is, in fact. I just want to give you a brief introduction, I think, and a summary of the Gospel of John. It's nice to take some time occasionally to look at um, what, what we're reading, why we're reading what we're reading. Uh, so I just want to concentrate a little bit on that first. Uh, so if you're turning, if your Bible's with me, with you, please turn to John chapter 14, and uh, we'll go there. But as we start tonight, uh, talking about John's Gospel, it's quite unique from the rest of the Gospels, and it really stands apart in the New Testament. I'm sure many of you have been told when you first received Christ as your Savior, read the Gospel of John. Well, yeah, why do we send people there? God talks to people through the Gospel of John. It's just so cool. It makes it very personal. And um, here in John chapter 20, in verses 30 and 31, uh, John is uh, talking here and he says, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Wow, that's cool. What did he do? I mean, you, you ever think about that? Wow, what isn't written? This is cool stuff. Well, they don't tell us. Uh, but in verse 31, he goes on and says, But what things are written... But these that are written are that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Yes. So scholars are, are in agreement on this one. John, uh, why he wrote this gospel, it's written to those that we may believe and in our believing have eternal life in his name. That's cool stuff. So this strengthens our faith when we read the Gospel of John, that we may believe. Now this Gospel is unique. It's written about 20 to 30 years after the rest of the Gospels were written. They're called the Synoptic Gospels because they're similar. This one's written about 20, 30 years later. Um, and uh, odd how that, was, uh, how that came out. And uh, this Gospel is a Gospel of more of what Jesus said rather than what he did. In Mark, it's the opposite. It's a gospel of what Jesus did rather than what he said. Mark is written to the Romans, and that mine is, come on, go to the next thing, go to the next thing. What's next? What's happening next? Now, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. We have no time for this. They, well, it has to move fast. And that's how the Roman mind worked, and that's how Mark tailored his gospel. In fact, the word immediately appears many times in the gospel of Mark. It's a Roman thinking concept. But here in John, this is very different. Jesus talks a lot in the book of John. He says a lot. Lots recorded about what he said. And that's really kind of cool because John here portrays Jesus in his deity as the Son of God. Um, and again, I had said before, of all the Gospels, John is the only Gospel that assumes you're a believer before you read it. How about that? Very unique He's talking to specifically believers. He's not trying to convince you of the Messiah. He knows you already believe. Now he's trying to let you go deeper. Very interesting here. Also, uh, we, what's odd about John, it's a topical gospel rather than a chronological one. If you look, he doesn't start with Jesus' birth, right? Nothing's really written about that. There's a spiritual implication of, of Jesus existing be, uh, with the Father before time, but not, it's not a chronological gospel. It's a topical one. And if you've ever noticed, it's a gospel written around seven miracles of Jesus and seven I am statements of Jesus. Very unique. It's a real key to understanding when you read this book. 
Now, just mention them briefly. It's the seven miracles that it's written around. Chapter 2, uh, turning water to wine, right? Chapter 4, healing of the nobleman's son. Chapter 5, healing of the man at the pool of Bethsaida. Chapter 6, feeding of the multitude. I think that's the only miracle in all four Gospels. Uh, chapter 6, again, walking on the water. Chapter 9, healing the blind man. And then chapter 11, raising Lazarus from the dead. Those seven miracles this gospel seems to center around. And all of them show, of course, only the Son of God could do something like this. Really cool. That is the seven I am statements of Jesus, uh, which are very cool. Uh, verse, uh, chapter 6, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. In chapter 8, I'm the light of the world. In chapter 10, I'm the door. Uh, chapter 10 again, I'm the good shepherd. Chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Um, chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in chapter 15, I am the true vine. All I am statements. Now, some scholars add chapter 8 uh, where he says, I am, and uh, the other one where he says, I am the Son of God, chapter 10. But basically, seven I am statements, because all these are pictures. Jesus leaves us with pictures that we're to meditate on. Uh, that's very uh, much first century thinking, and it, it works here too. You know, these are, when we hear these statements, I am the door, I am the bread of life. You got to think about that. What's being said here is obviously not a piece of bread, we know that. But, but like bread, how would, we, how would we handle bread? What would bread mean? Oh, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, they're pictures for us that we dwell on and meditate on. So, uh, being that this is a resurrection season, I'm doing a, a, um, some tonight and next Wednesday about resurrection season. Uh, it's a very important time in the church calendar, the Lord's church. It's, isn't it odd in Scripture we're never told to remember his birth? How about that? But we are told to remember his death and resurrection. And that's something. This is a biggie. I'm, not that I'm anti-Christmas. I'm not a Scrooge. Don't get me wrong. I love Christmas. But uh, we're told, though, to remember his death and resurrection. Every time you receive communion, you're remembering, right? You're proclaiming, it says, his death and resurrection. His victory is your victory. It's my victory. Uh, so here at Resurrection Season, I wanted to concentrate on that for this week and next week. And tonight I want to do a, a message on from John chapter 14 through 17. And it's called The Last Will and Testament of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not the first one ever to say that. They're having sermons in the 1940s and 20s. It's obviously, it's a popular topic. I don't know. I have no idea what they said, but this is my version at least. The last will and testament of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, as I said, this is a gospel of what Jesus uh, said rather than did. So the words here that Jesus speaks are very important to uh, John when he writes these down. And um, there's a lot uh, for us to glean from this. Here in John chapter 14, verse 2, if you're there already, uh, Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. Interesting. I go to prepare a place for you. So therefore, as he goes, he's going to leave something behind to us. What does he leave behind to us? His words. The last will and testament of the Lord Jesus Christ. So a little bit of a setting here. When you're in John chapter 14, they're in the upper room at the Last Supper. Uh, by, the end, uh, by John 
chapter 14, verse 31, scholars believe he just starts to leave the house with his disciples and he's walking towards the Garden of Gethsemane. That's why when you read in John chapter 15 and John chapter 16, he talks about the vines. They're walking past grapevines. And I'm sure he's pointing and making illustrations and comments, teaching them. So we're watching them walk along, if you would, as, as we read his words here. And by the end, uh, by John chapter 16, verse 4, it's, he, it's believed he now has moved through the city of Jerusalem. And by the time we get to chapter 17, which is a prayer, chapter 17 is an intercessory prayer uh, that, a, that a high priest would do. Pretty cool. And here at this prayer, they believe he's just crossing the Kidron Valley to Gethsemane. So that's the setting here. When you're reading these verses, they're walking. They're starting to uh, walk, and he's still teaching them, and still teaching them. I don't know how well they're getting this, but Holy Spirit brought this back, obviously, to their remembrance. I'm sure they didn't get it very well at all, uh, just like us. Uh, but uh, here, uh, he is teaching them a lot and leaving them something. He's constantly saying he's going to go, but his words, he's leaving behind them. So what would one, or why would one make a last will and testament? Well, uh, you want to make sure your loved ones are cared for. That makes sense. Uh, you want to make sure your wishes and desires are carried out after you're gone from this earth walk. Makes sense. And there's other reasons as well people could have. Um, when people in general are told that they've been remembered in a will after a person has departed, people often think, what did they leave me? What did I get? Come on, don't be so spiritual. You would think the same thing. Of course. That's, that's the main deal. All of a sudden you forget the person that's gone. What did I get? What did I get? So Jesus here intentionally uh, spoke these words in John chapters 14 through 17 to make sure his loved ones were cared for after he left his earth walk. And he definitely had desires that he wanted to see carried out after he left. It's will-making. But the amazing thing here about Jesus, he's the only one to ever leave a last will and testament and then come back from the dead to carry it out. I like that. That's special stuff. I like that. So here in John chapter 14 in verse 18, out of the Amplified Bible, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans, comfortless, desolate, bereaved, forlorn, helpless. I will come back to you. Super words. Here Jesus does not have a love them and leave them ministry. That's what you call people who come into your church to minister and then they're gone. <laughs> come love them and leave them. It's an old joke. Uh, no, he will never leave us nor forsake us. That's the good news that we have here. So what did he leave us? What do we get? Those are good questions. Uh, the Bible clearly shows us what he gives and what he leaves. And we see here when we get to John chapter 17 in this high priestly prayer that it's not enough that he just prays for his disciples, but it tells us that he prays for those who would believe through their words. That's you and me. So when we read Jesus' words here and his prayer, he's talking to you personally. That's really cool. This is meant for me personally because he tells us it's for those who would believe on their words. And of course, one believes, the other believes, the other believes, and the centuries go by, and somewhere we show up. So, at the last will and testament here, he calls them friends. Uh, in John chapter 15, verse 15, he says, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. 
because it's none of his business. You do what you're told. But I have called you friends, and all things I have heard from my Father, I've made known to you. That's really cool. Those are covenant words. That's covenant language. Only Abraham is previously called friend in Scripture of God in Isaiah chapter 41. So as Jehovah, Jesus, he makes a covenant friendship with Abraham, and now Jesus, Jehovah, is making a covenant friendship with us. Very often important that we remember we're in covenant friendship with the Lord. We tend to think of him as Jesus, almighty God. True, but he's my covenant friend. He's the firstborn of many brethren. That means he's my brother also. Pretty wild. He is my brethren. He is uh, the firstborn of many brothers. And I'm in covenant friendship with him. He gives promises to Abraham. He gives promises to us. So, and you know, we talked about the wills here. They leave commands what they want done. He leaves us with commands which are a requirement of a will. Chapter 15, that we bear fruit. Chapter 15, that we love one another. Chapter 17, that we be sent by him, that we are sent by him. So I want to look tonight here at what he's left us. And we're going to see that all he promised, he fulfilled right after he rose from the dead. How about that? Not centuries later, right then and there. He fulfilled right after he rose from the dead. He fulfills his promises. And they're always fresh for us today for the believer. So I'm going to look here at five definite promises, if you want to write them down, of what he's left us. They're not in any special chronological order. So, you know, this isn't like one comes before the other. But he's left us five promises. And again, these are things that men could not have provided for himself. They had to come as gifts from the Godhead to men. Uh, and if Jesus didn't leave these for, for us, we could never have obtained these on our own. Always remember that when you see these. All right, promise number one. Enough talking. Uh, in John chapter 17, verse 2, he gives us eternal life. He actually leaves us eternal life. And remember, in the original Greek here, it means higher quality of life. Life with a higher quality quality and intensity. Not just long life, that's everlasting life. He gives us an eternal life in the Greek, zoe, a higher quality of life. And because the very life of God enters us, and that's a higher quality of life. And so chapter 17, verse 2, he says, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life. There's give. Give eternal life to as many as you have given him. He's talking to the Father. Uh, so, he gives eternal life. And you know, that is the most important because eternal life is having the nature of God in us. That means we get to be in the presence of God uh, in this earth walk and beyond for eternity. Uh, eternal life is the craving of humanity over the centuries. If you ever studied a little bit about how the Egyptians thousands of years ago did burial, everything was about eternal life. They didn't usually live very long, so as soon as they be, sort of became adults, you planned your funeral. You spent the rest of your life planning your funeral because that meant everything. Um, you know, burial customs over the centuries. Everything surrounded by, I don't want this physical world to be the end. Unsaved man always had that in their heart. It's in man to crave for uh, eternal life, not realizing 
They have a spiritual death apart from God. It's in natural man to crave uh, life and eternal life. We can go in detail about that, but I'm not. It's not important for today. So here he gives us eternal life, and he fulfills it. It comes back from the dead, rises from the dead. In John chapter 20, in verse 22, that's when the apostles get born again. That's when they get eternal life. John chapter 20, verse 22, and he said to them, he breathed it on them. How about that? And said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Remember how Adam was created? It said God breathed it into him and he became a living soul. The breath of life came. Then, of course, Adam chose sin. He died spiritually. Here Jesus restores man the way he was with Adam before sin. We have uh, the breath of Holy Spirit coming in us and made alive to God. Okay, that's a goodie. Second one here, second promise he leaves us. He leaves us peace. Now, very important, this is not just a solical, make me feel good peace. Uh, this is a peace that satisfy, satisfies us that we are right with God. There's nothing more important on the face of this earth to know that you're, than you're right with God. It's a settled peace where it has no turmoil inside. Um, it's a resting from all self-works to try to earn God's approval. That's really good news. I don't have to earn God's approval. I'm approved because of Jesus. I don't have to pray more. I don't have to, I don't have to read my Bible more. I don't have to witness more. I don't have to give more. Those are works. I do those things because it comes natural to me now as a believer to do them. I live out naturally who I am. I've used example more than once. I, when I get up in the morning and look in the mirror, I never say, I wonder if I'm a man today. The beard's a giveaway. I know I am. What do I do? I live as a man. It comes natural to me to live as a man. Hey, when you're born again, it comes natural to you to live the life of God through you. You don't have to earn anything to find God's approval. That's righteousness. That's right standing. If you understand that, you understand right standing. Uh, I, not to trick you, but I, I remember Pastor Walt had did a sermon one time where he had said, don't answer. Can you think of three things you could do so that the Lord would be pleased with you more than he is now? And, he, and, he, and everybody waits. Well, if you only thought of one, maybe that's not too bad. But if you thought none, you understand righteousness. He was 100% correct. That's understanding righteousness. I can do nothing to have God more pleased with me now than I am already am. But I got faults. Yeah, I know. We all have faults to the side of heaven. But in the spirit, I am right with God because of Jesus. He sees Jesus before he sees me. And he says, I'm pleased. So, very important there that we have a right standing with the Father. We have peace. And Jesus says here in John chapter 14, verse 27, Amplified Bible, Peace I leave to you. Leave. There's a leave again. What? That's our last will and testament thought. Peace I leave you and my own peace. His own peace. My own peace. I now give and bequeath to you. Got to love Amplified Bible. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Stop allowing yourselves to be agitated and disturbed. And do not permit yourselves to be fearful, intimidated, and cowardly and unsettled. God's peace does that for us. But there's another biggie word. 
bequeath. Last will and testament talk. And Jesus rises from the dead and he fulfills this. Once again in John chapter 20. In verses 19 and 21. Then at the same day of the... Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut or the disciples were assembled for the, fear of, for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. That's a giving again. He's giving them something. Peace be with you. Verse 21. So Jesus said to them, peace to you as the Father has sent me, I also send you. He's giving them something. He's giving them peace. He's fulfilling what he promised he would do. His peace, it silences the voice of fear. Right? When people uh, feel real peace from God, uh, fear does not torment. That's important. His peace satisfies the yearnings of my heart. There's no agitating in me for lack. For what I, I, I got to get more. I probably lack this. I lack that. You don't lack anything. Just let it rain. Uh, peace brings us stability within me as I live in an unstable world. And I don't know if you look lately, but it's pretty unstable. Okay. All right. The third promise here we have is greater works he leaves us. So we have here he leaves us eternal life. He leaves us peace. And now he leaves us greater works. How about that? Well, if you, if you were a captain of industry and you left your industry to your children, wouldn't you want them to do better? Oh, don't do as good as dad did. Make this, make this company fail. No way. You want them to excel you, go beyond you. Well, what does he do? He leaves us greater works. Corporate Jesus. Uh, chapter 14, verse 12. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I uh, do, he will do also. Greater works than these will he do because I go. He's leaving something behind. Because I go to the Father. How about that? This now is the work of the church. That is the work of you and me over the centuries. This is the work of the church because Jesus is seated with the Father. The church now can triumph with greater works. We can do better than dad did in the corporation. We can excel it. Uh, this is offering the good news of salvation that is now available. And it's the expansion of the government of God here on this earth. The good works that we do. And here we have um, uh, fulfilled in John chapter 20 again. In verses 22 and 23, Jesus rises from the dead. And in verse 22, when he had said this, here we go again. He breathed it on them and said to them, receive the spirit. Look at verse 23. This is real heavy. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Wow. That's a heavy statement. That is the work of the church, and only the church can do that. Wow. He's giving us something that he had and greater. Wow, that's an amazing statement there. Whole separate topic, an amazing statement. All right, number four here. He leaves us with spiritual unity. That's a biggie. That's a biggie. Oneness in him. A little bit of a longer reading here. Chapter 17 in his priestly prayer. Verses 20 to 26. I do not pray for these alone. Now that's us. But for those who will believe in me through their word. Verse 21. That they may be one. 
as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be one in us, so that we may be one and one with the, with the Godhead Trinity, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory that you gave me, I have given them. There's a given again. Last will and testament. I've given them that they may be one just as we are one. That's the glory given. That they may be one just as we are one. Verse 23. And I in them and you in me that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am and may behold my glory which you have given me for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you but I have known you and these have known that you have sent me. And I declare to them your name and I will declare it and the love which you have loved me that they may be, that I, that you, you love me may be in them and I in them. Okay, the oneness, uh, unity is a, is, is a gift of God. Unity is a gift of God because all this world knows is disunity and disharmony and strife. And if you look at the work of man over the centuries, War, strife, war, strife. Give me your land. No, you can't have it. Yes, I want it. Well, I want your gold. I want your silver. Yeah. War, 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 war. Strife, 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 strife. Hasn't changed. So that's a lie that's not from in the Bible. Oh, this, all men are basically good. No, they're not. They're evil. That's why they need to be born again. Men are not basically good. That's a lie. The Word of God doesn't teach that. They're basically evil. That's, if, if they were basically good, why would they need to be safe for it? No, they're basically evil. And they have been for centuries and they'll never change until the Lord returns. Never will. Only in Christ can we be cleansed and made whole. So oneness, unity, peace is a gift from God. Uh, this is the greater uh, than me. What is greater than uh, you and I being one with the Father? Uh, this is something to meditate on all by yourselves. You know, the greatest covenant we could have on this earth is our marriage. And here we have something greater offered to us, uh, the same oneness that we share with the Godhead. Wow, we have an equality with one another. That's why it's so important to be part of the body of Christ. It's an honor to be part of the body of Christ. The body of Christ is beautiful. We got to really meditate on that one because the way church folks act over the centuries, you'd never know it, which is just a darn shame. What a shame. They've missed it by a mile. The very thing that they should have, they reject unity of one another. And here we have fulfilled here in the book of Acts, right? Here in the book of Acts, the apostles are coming together in verse 14 and it says, they are all continued with one accord. That's not a Honda. They all were in one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. How about that? They were in one accord. They were in harmony. Therefore, that was already being fulfilled. The oneness that Jesus promised them, they started to walk in. So spiritual unity is one of the church's most important assets. And I think it's one that the evil one fights against sometimes the most. He does not want you in harmony with your brother and sister in Christ. He's not calling you to like them. He's calling you to love them. You don't need to hang around people you don't like, but you can love them. Right? 
you can have a love for their souls. You, you know, I remember one time, uh, Dr. Michael Brown, I don't know if you know who he is, he has come to Grace and Peace, he has a radio show on the internet. Dr. Michael Brown um, was talking with someone who was really in error on what they were teaching regarding the Word of God. And he thought Mike hated him. And Mike said, oh no, you got it all wrong. I pray for you like I pray for myself. Only the love of God can say something like that. Do we pray for those that we don't like? That's my point. Like we pray for ourselves. I'm still trying to get there. Do we pray for those that we don't like like I would pray for myself? Why? Because we don't want to lose oneness. We don't want to lose harmony. I don't have to be in agreement with everybody, but boy, I can agree with the Word of God. And they can agree with the Word of God. And we can agree on Jesus. And we can agree on the truth of the Word. If they can't, then they're not brethren. But if they agree with the Word of God, I must love them. I don't have to understand them. don't have to understand their heads. I was never meant to understand somebody's head, but I was meant to embrace their hearts. We need to always remember oneness. It's very important. So this is one that the, uh, the wicked one fights against very much. Promise number five here. This is a very, probably one of the most important here. Uh, what did we say here? We talked about he gives us eternal life. He leaves us with uh, peace. Uh, he leaves us with greater works that we'll do. He leaves us with a spiritual oneness, a unity. And the last one here, he leaves us the helper, the comforter, Holy Spirit. That is probably right up there with eternal life. Uh, John chapter 14, verses 26, I'm sorry, verses 16 and 26, Amplified Bible. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another comforter, counselor, helper, intercessor, advocate, strengthener, and standby, and that he may remain with you forever. Verse 26, but the comforter, counselor, helper, intercessor, advocate, strengthener, standby, the Holy Spirit, with whom the Father will send in my name, in my place, to represent me and act on my behalf, he will teach you all things, and he will cause you to recall, will remind you of, bring you in remembrance of everything I've told you. So we see here, Holy Spirit, that, that's a real mouthful. Holy Spirit is here to be with us, to stand by us. It tells us in the Word of God, we don't know how to pray as we ought to. Holy Spirit has to help us pray as we ought to. Without Holy Spirit, I can't get it together this side of heaven. Without Holy Spirit, I can't make it this side of heaven. I can't have uh, lasting fruit left behind me, which I'm required to have as a believer. Holy Spirit means everything to me. He's my connection with Jesus. And uh, where the Spirit of the Lord is, now the, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Wow. The Lord and the Spirit are one of those things you're not going to figure out with your head because they're together. And Jesus fulfills this. We just read this before in chapter 20, verse 22. And when he had said this, he breathed it on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. How about that? That was the most important thing he probably said to them after he arose from the dead. Now, here in the original Greek here, uh, the word comforter and helper uh, literally means one who comes alongside of you. This is unique to the gospel of John. Uh, it would be an error for us to conclude Holy Spirit only comes when we're in a predicament. Oh, God, where are you? I need you now. He was there the whole time. 
He's not just there when times are rough. Oh, times aren't rough now. Go back in the closet. Everything's fine. No, he's there constantly alongside of me. As I said before, Scripture is telling us here that he helps to teaching us to pray. He helps us to reveal the Word of God and truth. If any of this is connecting inside of you, what I'm saying tonight, guess what? Holy Spirit's doing that. I can't. I don't want this to go from my head to your heads. That's a waste. I want this to go from my heart to your hearts. I can't do that, though. Only Holy Spirit can make that connection with the Word of God. Only Holy Spirit can do that. Uh, so He is here to make sure that we're connected with the Father. Make sure that we're connected in truth. That's why whenever you hear the Word of God ministered uh, in your Christian walk, and wh whatever the uh, occasion and things that are said, just go, bang, that was for me. Holy Spirit did that. The person speaking didn't do that. Holy Spirit did that. Because He's there alongside you to make this connection. That's why we always ask Holy Spirit, teach me to pray. Always a good idea. It's been said for a long time. Whenever you open your Bible to read it, stop first. Holy Spirit, teach me today. Speak to me. Yes, he wrote it. <laughs> he was the one who wrote that. We want Holy Spirit to be who is our teacher, it tells us in John, uh, got, got the epistle of John. We want him to teach us and talk to us. So, without Holy Spirit, there can be no connection with God. Without Holy Spirit, there can be no church. He's the reason why we're able to connect tonight. He's the reason why you came here and somebody else didn't. Not putting down anybody didn't come. I'm just trying to say, those that are here tonight, Holy Spirit, may, he wooed you to a point where you said yes and came. Now, obviously, people have obstacles that can't come. I get it. But you're here, and you're here because Holy Spirit wooed you. People watching tonight on uh, Internet or YouTube or whatever they watch on uh, Facebook, they're making this a point. Why? Holy Spirit is wooing them to hear the words. I'm not the person that's important. It's the word spoken as Holy Spirit makes connection here. So, because of Holy Spirit, the church can continue Jesus' earth walk. And we can do the greater works. We can exercise that command to love that we're supposed to walk in. We can have the spiritual unity that Christ wants us to experience. The peace that only Christ can give me. Holy Spirit all makes this happen. So, uh, Pastor James, could you come up? So we can become filled with an infilling that only the Father can give us in Christ. It tells us here in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18 through Paul, Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be drunk with wine, which is, uh, in, is a disposition, but filled with the Spirit of God. Here Jesus leaves us with his last will and testament that we would have something tangible, something far greater than silver or gold or any men could give us. He's giving us something that spiritually sustains us this side of heaven that we can be Christians. And the word Christian means little Christ. That we can be the little Christ. That we can be his representatives. That we can walk in his anointing. He's leaving us this gift. Nobody can give you that. And here in the Amplified Bible from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, it says, But be filled and stimulated with the Holy Spirit. How about that? Be filled and stimulated with the Holy Spirit. Wow. God doesn't want us to be deadpans. He wants us to be stimulated. He wants us to be excited about the things of God. So we need a supernatural infilling in a natural world, don't we? Yes, we need 
supernatural equipping to do a supernatural task. Uh, so this is a good place to stop perhaps tonight. Uh, Father God, we just thank you, Lord, for times of refreshment in your presence. We thank you, Lord God, for being filled and stimulated by your spirit, Lord God. That, Father God, we would go so much deeper, Lord, in the things that are of you. Uh, there's no blessings on the shallow end. We want to dive in and go on the deep end, Lord, and just soak, Lord, in your presence. Grateful for what the Lord Jesus has left us and fulfilled for us. That, Lord God, we would walk in that. We thank you for this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.